0: real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary
2: hello welcome to this week's must hear music podcast we're returning after a little bit of a hiatus as uh, long time or short even some short time listeners might know we uh, Recently and sadly saw Jason and Erica move on to allegedly greener pastures. Um, no, both of them left Billboard to move on to different things in their careers. And so we sadly had to say goodbye to them on the podcast. Um, so things have been, uh, been very busy at Billboard. So we've uh, been taking a couple weeks off of this podcast. But we're coming back with a very good one uh, this week. So we're going to discuss a few songs. And after that... Um, I'm going to toss to an interview. Recently, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Tori Amos, stopped by. She's the, um,
3: the new panelist on the podcast. She's yeah, she's Jason. replacing
2: Jason. Uh, a big, pretty big step up. Oh, ultimately, a huge upgrade for Billboard. Did Jason make the album Little Earthquakes? I don't think so. So screw Jason. Um, anyways, exactly. So uh, so yeah, once once we chat about some songs, I'm going to toss to an interview with her. She uh, has an an album slash play called the light princess. It debuted uh, in Britain a couple of years ago. And now the album cast album is out, uh, debuted number two on the billboard Broadway charts. And she is in America kind of talking with Broadway producers and as well as Hollywood to bring it both to the stage and the screen. So she, we talk about like how that process is going, how her teenage daughter kind of like kept her quote unquote honest with this story about teenagers, um, it's really interesting and it was really cool for me because I love her so stick around for that or even skip ahead if you don't give a shit about any of this but uh, but we do have some good stuff to talk about um, we're going to start with the big one which is Adele's Hello which dropped uh, just a few days ago it has already set seemingly a million records like it's the most uh, oh, I should have written this down
3: most streams on vivo in a 24 hour period defeated Bad Blood
1: Also,
4: uh, most streamed on YouTube for the year, and it's on track to be the fastest-selling song this year in the UK. Just a couple more facts for
2: you. I want to stick to American facts, Aaron. Oh, we Hmm. should... Anyways, thank you for joining me. This is an American podcast. This is an American podcast, Aaron. So we have Aaron Strecker, who I just insulted. Repping the world. (laughs) And Chris Payne. I'm all about
3: the American artists on the podcast.
2: Totally, yeah. Adele, honorary American, though.
3: Yeah, and one of the two people I suggested was Canadian. That might have been a mistake, but...
4: Mm, My yeah. other person was... Br- I'm just rapping the Brits today, and I'm totally okay with that.
2: Disgusting. <laughs> um, well, Tori Amos at least is American. At but least. married to a Brit, so again, you know...
4: So really, you sh- maybe you shouldn't have this, this, said any of this. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be
2: <laughs> insulting the British. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... Uh, Never mind. It's, it's not, not worth explaining. It would take too long. But uh, Anyway, Adele's a Brit, and she anyways, also makes incredible Adele, music. Okay, so the other record, so a couple other really interesting records. Uh, Adele's Hello has become the second. It, it just recently reached 100 million views on YouTube. Second fastest video, or the second fastest amount of time to do that, just behind Size Gentleman. That actually reached 100 million faster, but that's the only video that ever did, and it will... This is a record. I'm just very happy got broken. So it's sold more. It's going to have sold more digital downloads in one week uh, than any other song in history, breaking the record. Which kind of depressingly, before that was held by Flo Rida for Right Round.
3: That's a good. I, I like Right Round. I don't think I that's just depressing like at fun, all.
2: That's a fun chart fact. Like really, huh? That one went all the way. Like that. That was the biggest. That had the biggest selling. Download week Kesha's I on like that song. Kesha's pre- on pre- that fame song. Kesha. I love Kesha. The song is good, but it's just—it's a ripoff of an '80s song that's a lot better. I just feel like I'm glad. It just—I don't know. It's just kind of a lame thing. Like that was the—that was our favorite song. Come on, guys. You know we can do better.
4: We can do better, and we did with do better dell, with a beautiful ballad.
2: But yeah, so let's all cry. so let's talk about it. So, uh, Aaron, what do you think about Hello?
4: I really, really loved it. Obviously, I started crying like 30 seconds in. Um, it sounds most similar. Li- I think everyone was very curious if Adele would maybe go in a different direction this album. Um, but I think fans were really pleased to see that, you know, while she's made made clear that 25 is not going to be a breakup album like 21 is, there's still like, judging by the lead signal, it's going to be about relationships and, you know, lost love and all the feelings that go along with that. Um, and I was really excited. To, I was really excited to see that.
2: Chris, what do you think about this one?
3: Yeah, I mean, like Aaron said, that song does not reinvent Adele in any way, but I think that's fine. I really can't think off the top of my head an Adele reinvention that I would have been like yearning for with this song. It's like,
4: you didn't want like a club jam?
3: No, I didn't. It's like, man, I know Adele brings out a lot of like grumpy traditionalists. It's like, she's all about the music, she's not being sexy. So there's a lot of crap like that being said, but. With radio and just how everything on Top 40 is so beat-driven nowadays, it's really refreshing that a song like this will be killing the game and like just giving people a different flavor.
2: Yeah. <clears>
3: and <throat> I, I mean, it's... I'm jumping ahead a little bit because we don't know yet exactly what kind of impact it'll have on Top 40, but I think we can, at this point, safely assume it'll do well.
2: Well, we know it's going to debut in number one, and yeah. <laughs> I would say it'll probably be like in the radio, like... If, if not number one at radio for the next couple of months, like it'll be in the top five. Like I think we'll be hearing a lot of this
3: because she's gonna have like, like adult contemporary unlock along sure. with top forty. So like multiple formats. You mm-hmm. know that's that's why I like something like the Imagine Dragons song, um, radioactive. radioactive. <laughs> that's why it broke the record for most weeks in the Hot 100 because it was on so many formats.
2: That's some good. We've got some good chart facts here. I feel, I like, feel like everyone's gonna really learn a
4: lot.
3: I'm just gonna r- rip off a mask well. and I'm Silvio inside. <laughs> the
2: was <laughs> the head of our charts department yeah. for anyone listening little listen, inside intimately joke. <laughs> familiar with who works at Billboard um, yeah no I, I really love this song I think the first time I heard it I was a little surprised how not different it was you know like this could have been on 21 but I'm not let down because it's just so solid and it's very memorable like I find it in my head a lot which is an impressive thing to say for something this slow like Usually, a, a kind of depressing ballad doesn't like get stuck in your head, even if you like it. But this has been in my head for like the last week. Um, people have been like, a li- like if it, like mostly responses positive. I feel like people have been a little down on the lyrics. Um, I I totally disagree. Like I think this it's it's a song about someone, you know, like how you uh, break up with someone and you always feel like calling them, and uh, and then there's that element of she's admitting that she was kind of the one who was the jerk in the relationship like I'm not maybe saying the lyrics are perfect but it's a perspective that you don't hear a lot I would say in songs like there aren't a lot of breakup songs where it's like actually I was the one who was the asshole like I think that's smart and honest and you generally don't hear that so I'm all about hello
4: Yay, hello.
2: And uh, Also,
4: hello conveniently gave us wonderful memes with Lionel Richie and with others, so thank you for that as well, Adele.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many good hello songs. There's the Beyonce one, there's I Just Called to Say Hello, there's probably some other ones I can't think of off the top.
4: <laughs> I actually looked looked this up. I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head besides what you mentioned, but there's like 15 to 20 songs that are hello.
2: Just
3: so.
0: called hello.
3: Hello, or like
4: hello in one other word. So,
3: the first track on Oasis, "What's the Story?" Morning Glory is called "Hello." That's probably not nice. the best of the songs, but it's the first one that came to my head.
2: Another it's fertile ground, n- is all more I'm Brit invasion, stuff. More,
3: more Brits.
2: All right. Uh, well, let's listen to it because you guys probably haven't heard this one, uh, <laughs> you listeners out there. So, let's listen to a little bit of Adele's "Hello." Running
0: out of time. So
1: how-
2: All right, that was the new Adele. Um, by the way, if you're listening and you feel differently, I'd be very curious if, if there's people out there who are not digging it or are not excited about it. Because I mostly just heard from people who love it. So I'd be curious if, if there are conflicting thoughts tweeted at us. Or me. Aaron's looking at me like, D- don't don't have them tweeted. me.
4: Um, you completely uh, misinterpreted my facial expression. I would love to hear from people who don't uh, like it so I can tell you how wrong you are.
2: <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Uh, let's switch to uh Grimes. So this is a Chris pick. We've got this is certainly I don't wanna say like the opposite, but this is another artist who's coming back after a long break and unlike Adele, it's sounding very different. Uh so her new song is called Flesh Without Blood, and it's from her upcoming album, Art Angels. And uh Why don't you take it away, C Pain?
3: Yeah, this is my Canadian pick for the show. Grimes rep in uh Montreal the Montreal scene up there yeah it's like there have been really so much hype around this new Grimes album in just all sorts of like indie and alternative pop circles and her last album came out in 2012 and since then she she had written a song for Rihanna that was kind of like a club banger, a weird club banger, but still a club banger that Rihanna rejected, and Grimes recorded herself. That was really poppy. Then she had done some interviews where she said she was backpedaling more from her singles. So people, I was really wondering what this song would sound like. I've liked Grimes a lot in the past, but I did have some reservations about like what this album would be. But for now, like I'm, I'm sipping the cool aid on it. This song is really catchy. It's it's a pop song, but it's. I think it's it's good for Grimes because she's not doing anything that's just like following somebody else. I can't just listen to this song and be like, oh, it sounds like this. She jacked this. It's really catchy, well done, and it's it still has that weirdness.
4: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't super familiar with her, but I really liked this song. I liked the electronic influences, and it also, to me, sort of sounded like a Heim song if only one person was singing it. I don't know if that's like completely mm. out of left field, but when I was listening to it, I was like, if this was just a little bit different, I would feel like this should be on a high album.
3: Because of like the way, like the, like, the all those the, vocals.
4: Yeah, the way that this kind of the way it was kind of produced, not necessarily like the instruments, but the way it just kind of sounded. I was like, mm-hmm. this should be on like Forever or something, or The Wire or whatever it was called.
3: I mean, the, <laughs> the, if like at the very base of the song there was, like a very simple driving guitar, so maybe like it could come from that.
4: I like, kind of like, you completely disagree with me, but you're slowly like, well, maybe if you did this and this, and I could sort of get on board with your opinion.
2: No, I did. The...
3: No, I'm saying that's why it would be similar to Heim, Because like... Oh, okay. Like, yeah, like, like, if like, there was that... Yeah. Because yeah, okay. like, like, the Heim songs are guitar-based, but they're not like guitars are like smacking you in the face. It's just like at the, the bottom. Right. Okay. The it's mix.
4: just like one level of it. All right. Now I got what you're saying. Yeah.
3: Cool.
2: Yeah. Actually, I wanted to talk about that guitar riff because it's fine. Like, I like it, but... The guitar riff is like fairly. It's just, I'm just, I guess I'm really surprised like how mainstream this sounds to me. Like the guitar riff is pretty straightforward. I think the Heim comparison works because, like, and I love Heim, but like they're very like traditional pop rock sound. Mm. And I'm just like, I'm not saying I like it, it's very catchy, but I'm, I am, for someone who really dug Grimes Visions, I'm a little like. This is just, like, so kind of regular and middle of the road. You're you're right. Okay, sorry. Now I'm backpedaling. You're right that this is a weirder pop song than most pop on the radio. But, like, compared to what Grimes was doing before, like, it's pretty straightforward. And I'm just, like, I don't know. Like, I wanted more of Grimes, like, like weird, ghostly. You wanted her to get weirder. I don't know if I wanted her to get weirder. But, like, I think there's a way to, like, polish your sound without kind of, like, going totally mainstream. And this... This feels very, like, M.O.R. to me. Um, I mean, I guess I also feel like I kind of don't even like criticizing it because if I didn't know previous Grimes stuff, I would be like, wow, this is awesome. Mm. I love this new artist. But just because I liked Vision so much and how, like, kind of lo-fi it was, I'm a little, like, taken aback. I'm, I'm, I'm in shell shock right now. I'm having a hard time acclimating. I feel like maybe I just need a month or something, and then I'll be totally on board with, like, Top forty Amen Grimes. But there's like no like she definitely It's not and
3: like, gu- I mean it's not gonna it's not gonna get played on radio. I mean I would be awesome if it did, but I don't think it will.
2: I think it I think it might like get some I'm not yeah, gonna say top ten, will. certainly, but
4: I'm with Chris. I'd be very surprised if I heard this on mainstream radio.
2: <laughs> Alright, well maybe I'm totally off. Maybe alternative radio. Maybe this is gonna be uh
3: Maybe. Yeah. It could happen.
2: Anyways, um,
3: and she did say it is not, like, especially representative of the whole album. She did say that specifically, mm. so maybe you still will like a lot of
2: it. So calm yeah. down, Joe. <sighs> Can we stop the podcast? I need to go hyperventilate. <laughs> um, no, I like it. It's so <clears> – <throat> I don't actually know if we said this, so it's called Flesh Without Blood. That might have been my bad. Drop in the name. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, let's let's listen to it because I'm, like, so torn on it. I like it, but I'm definitely – And I hate to be the person who's like, just make more music like your last album. But that is what my immediate reaction to this is. So let's listen to it. It's uh, Grimes, Flesh Without Blood. All right, that's New Grimes, Flesh Without Blood. Uh, let's talk about uh, some more Brits, more three Brits and an Irishman, uh, One Direction. <laughs> new song is called Perfect, and it's one of like four we've heard from three. Wait, no, uh, Aaron's correcting me, but how many? of have... Okay, so we have Infinity. Oh, Home isn't on the album, though. That's true.
4: It's not a single. I thought it was. I, I forgot about Infinity, which doesn't bode well. I thought it was Drag Me Down the first Drag single. Me Down. Then there's, then they released Infinity as a track, I Infinity. thought. Then there's Home.
2: Home and this song and then Perfect. And Perfect, which
4: is the next, like, official single. Yeah. So four, okay, so four new years. One Direction right. songs.
2: So I'm right. Yes. I was Cha-ching. wrong and you were right. All right. Can we get that on loop? Let's let's save that little audio. <laughs> um, anyway, First time so, for everything. Yeah, we might need that in the future, <laughs> probably. Um, so yeah, so new One Direction song Perfect. This is from Made in the AM, which is an album that is getting a lot of attention just because it's One Direction's last album before their hiatus. A lot of people think it'll be their last album
4: ever. It's also the first album without Zayn.
2: True. 1st Zaynless album. album. Uh, and it's going up against Justin Bieber's Purpose record release day, November 6th and... 13th. Whew. Oh yeah, 13th, right. Yeah, good, good fact check. Um, and I mean, Bieber is like a monster at this point. Like it really seems like he's gonna, I think, gonna like beat them in album sales because it seems like... They're on a little bit of a dip. I'm not saying they're like plummeting, but. But
4: Bieber's on a little bit of an upswing, he's on especially a big with upswing. Sorry.
2: Yes. He's like looking like he's going to have three. Well, I guess. Yeah, Where Are You Now is on his album. So yeah, he has yeah, three so top three, 10 three hits, huge hits this before year. this album even comes out. Um, anyways, whereas, though.
4: Whereas with 1D, like, we're going to talk about perfect. And, like, for me, it's uh, like not 1D at their best. I really liked Drag Me Down, so, like, I think they can definitely work as a foursome. That thought it was really exciting. Um, but the other—Infinity and Home aren't super doing it for me. And then Perfect, which, again, is the second, like, official single off made in the AM. It's definitely good. Like, if you like One Direction, like, this is another fun song to, like, bop your head to while you're, like, working or whatever. But, like, there's nothing really to it, and it's super forgettable. And, like— I, we were t- I think we talked at one point about Drag Me Down where, like, it's bad news on, like, a boy band pop song if the chorus isn't stuck in your head. Like, I feel like that's mm-hmm. the baseline that they kind of have to hit. And with Perfect, I really like, like, watching them run around and be goofy in the video. Like, that's fun and enjoyable. But I don't necessarily want to be, like, listening to the song on a loop. So I'm curious. I, I, I like Drag Me Down more. So I'm curious on the album what kind of what direction it's going to go for their final installment of songs. Which direction
2: it's going to go? Nope. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um... I kind of disagree because we we talked about Drag Me. I'm not a Drag Me Down fan because it reminds me so much of Maroon 5, who I really don't like. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but so perfect, like I enjoy more and actually kind of liked Home, but I 100% agree that you're right. Like when it's over, it's kind of hard to remember the chorus. Like you couldn't, you wouldn't, even after listening to it two times, you still have to be like, wait, how did that exactly go? But while listening to it, I find it very pleasant. I kind of like that the lyrics are. Like, they're growing up a, a bit, because, like, the lyrics are basically about just, like, them being One Direction and having, like, a one-night stand with
4: someone. But wait, but wait, can we really talk quick? Because one of my favorite things about One Direction in general is, even when, they're even, like, from way back when, their whole thing is that they're, like, much, like, dirtier and adult than you would first expect, and all of their album titles are insane, and they each, they each like, up the ante, and now it's made in the AM, and it sounds like, like, morning after, so I A hundred percent, So yeah. I just, I think that's always, just like, super fascinating to me, since I feel like- like I like One Direction, but like the average One Direction fan d- don't come for me. But they're like six- they're like 16-year-olds. I don't know.
3: What was the first one? one's like? Up all, up all night. Up all night. Midnight
4: memories. <laughs> um, take me home. Take me home. Four, which was the outlier, and now Made in the A.M.
2: Right, no, they're all very like one night standy. Titles. They want to have
4: a one night stand. How? Why don't you guys understand
2: this? <laughs> Won't somebody please give One Direction some play? Like they've just <laughs> what been, do they have to do? They just need to get some action, guys. And apparently, no one's giving it to them because they keep having to title their albums these things. Mm.
4: Also, I um, so bad for them. <laughs> I feel so bad for One Direction. No, um, but also fun fact: this song was co-written by a team including Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson. Um and so fans are very excited about that for a lot of reasons.
2: How much do you think they really had to do with writing this song? You know what? I'm Joe no Devil's advocate this We'll never hard. know
4: because it was as I said it was a team but there's um, no I in team. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that, like, the day it was released, there the song is about, like, you know, hotel rendezvous, and people are throwing up tons of, like, pictures and gifts of Harry and Louie like, in hotel rooms together, like, waving at fans. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out there for those fans of the podcast who might be interested in that information. No, that's
2: that's wonderful information. I'm Like I said, I'm just going to devil's advocate. No, I mean, fair. I, I
4: think any time, like, eight people are, are songwriters for a track, and I made up eight, but it's it's more than five. Right. Um...
2: You kind of got to wonder yeah. at that point. Although I do, like, so wait, it's, who are the ones, not Harry, but it's Liam and Louis who have been doing a lot of songwriting?
4: Yeah, so Louis, like, maybe vocally, some some people would say, not me, but some people would say he's not the strongest member of the band, but behind the scenes, his name shows up in the songwriting credits the most.
2: Yeah, I kind of buy that. Like, I can imagine, sure. like, him, for some reason, just the idea of, like, Harry Style, Styles writing songs. I feel like he's the one who like shows up late to the session and like tosses in a couple lyrics and they're like, great job, Harry. Thanks. And they're like, all right, let's, let's actually write this song now.
4: <laughs> what if we wrote a song about a one night stand? That's like Harry's contribution. Yeah,
2: <laughs> so I just, I'm in a hotel room and well, I can't really think of what would happen next. I'm, like, that's, I'm out. Yeah. Um. This is really awkward though because I know Harry Styles listens to this podcast. So,
4: well, again, we're not saying he didn't. We don't know.
2: (laughs) We we don't know. Yeah, Harry. It's open. It's open to (laughs) interpret. Did you just (laughs) abbreviate interpretation? Oh my god, that's bad. I I don't even know if I would do that. I probably would.
4: Oh, that's embarrassing for me. That I should. If you wouldn't do it, I need to fact check myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um. All right. Well, we, we, Chris. What do you think about it? Uh, Erin, what did I? Ask, we sit next to
3: each other. What did I ask you right after I listened to it?
4: You said this is the one that everyone is saying, like, is a ripoff of Taylor Swift's style, right? And it sounds, you
3: can pretty much sing the chorus of style over the One Direction song. They're so similar. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like I've heard this. It's like, it's like, it's a pretty, I would honestly say, I think the chorus is a little bit better than we were letting on earlier. The problem is that it's just so sound alike. It's like I've heard this six months ago. Yeah. I don't need this exact thing again.
2: Slam. All right. Um well let's give it a listen. So it's One Direction Perfect and here it is.
3: for All
2: right, that was One Direction's Perfect. Um, and now let's listen to. <clears throat> we're going to toss to the uh, Tori Amos interview, uh, but as we do that, we're going to listen to a song from her musical called *Darkest Hour*. So this is her solo version of it, uh, but it appears in cast version on her cast album *The Light Princess*. Before we do that, I want to say thanks to Aaron and Chris for stopping by.
3: Holler. Yeah.
2: All right. See you guys later. Hey, this is Joe. Uh, We're here on the Must Hear Music podcast. We have a very special, special guest with us right now. Uh, We have Tori Amos, who's one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and she has a very um, kind of interesting project going on. She has a play, a musical, that has already been in Britain, uh, and now the original cast recording is out, and she's kind of looking to bring it to Broadway, Um, And so we're here to talk about that. And I feel like since a lot of people listening are primarily Americans, probably were not in Britain to see this play, um, I was hoping you could kind of give like a little intro into this. So I know it's it's based on a Scottish fairy tale um, about a princess who basically defies gravity, um, because as far as I understand it, her mother dies and she kind of like is floating in a sense to kind of like get closer to her to like get to heaven. Um, And then it's like kind of a star-crossed romance situation with another kingdom, or what's the... That's
1: great, Joe. Hi, (laughs) by the (laughs) way. Thanks for having me. You've done your homework. Yes, it uh, was based on the George MacDonald fairy tale, The Light Princess. We utilized that as a jumping-off point to have a story that would resonate with 21st century teenagers. We uh, chose... To make sure that our princess was floating because of real issues, not because of curses. Because curses mm-hmm. don't happen to 15 year olds, and they're just gonna look at you like you've lost your mind, right. like some crazy grown up. I mean, my daughter would look at me and say, Don't betray us, mom. We do have real issues, tackle them. So that's been the goal of the Light Princess. Yes, it's a fairy tale but we're dealing with teenage issues and emotional issues that exist now, today.
2: That's interesting, you said that about your daughter. So was she involved in kind of like coaching you in a sense of like, you know, making sure this is relevant to like modern
1: teenagers? She's been, I guess you could say in some ways, she's been um, this shadow creature with the project, stalking it from afar. (laughs) And she's, you know, she loves Vikings, she loves Game of Thrones, um, The Walking Dead. So, The Light Princess isn't as violent as those. So, parents listening or teenagers listening, I'm not going to promote something it isn't, but it does tackle abuse of power from the fathers who are kings. It is more um, Montagues and Capulets than it is, say, um, a G-rated fairy tale that commercial film companies sometimes make out of fairy tales. And, yes, there are two kingdoms, Lagabelle, where she is from, and Sealand, where he is from. So she has too much levity. After her mother dies, she tries to follow her mother to heaven. Um, The grief is so overwhelming mm-hmm. to the kingdom. Imagine Princess Diana dying and what that right. did to England and the grieving of a whole country that happened. Yes. Well, that's what happens in Lagabell. So they've lost their beloved queen who loved everybody and who this little girl at four years old, she adored her mother. Mm-hmm. So when her mother dies, the grief from the kingdom is so much that she thinks that their tears are going to drown her. So she lifts her feet. And tries to follow her mother to heaven by floating. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And he, in Sealand, when he loses his mother, uh, he cries and is so affected that he becomes the solemn prince of Sealand and has so much gravity. So he has so much gravity. She has so much levity. And that's the poetry of the piece.
2: Yeah, that's kind of beautiful. And I know you worked on the story... Uh, with Samuel Adamson, who people might know he was the one who did, uh, the, I think it was Broadway All About My Mother adaptation. Yes. Um,
1: yes. He's done All About My Mother. He's been involved in Breakfast at Tiffany's Mm -hmm. in England. He was on the War Horse team. Um, so, and he has the new Michael Mapurgo who wrote the original children's book of War Horse, um. Running Wild, I think is the title of it, and that will be out next
2: year in England. So how did you originally, I guess, link up with him? Like, who reached out to, who? was it your idea to get him on board, or...?
1: I read The Light Princess and I thought this could make a great musical if we make sure that we're dealing with contemporary issues, and the door to the British National Theater opened through people that we knew. Therefore, we went and they're state funded. So they're not a commercial house. The thing about the National is, in some ways, it really is against commercial story. Mm-hmm. So it's the other way. It's the opposite yeah. of Broadway or you could say Hollywood. It's not it's more independent film, if you think of it like Mm -hmm. that. And it has great respect from people all over the world. And working there was really incredible, because they allowed us to tell a story we wanted to tell without dumbing it down.
2: Yeah, I was actually, that was one of the things that struck me about this, because when you hear, you know, someone, an artist is going into musical theater, it's usually like, like Green Day will adapt their album or they'll do a Carol King musical with all of her hits um but this is original music composed for this which is kind of risky something that like you know usually Broadway isn't as interested in was there any point where someone was like oh you should play it safe and like do a musical based on your existing material that people already
1: know Well not the National Theater that was the great thing about developing it there so I'd say to you It sounds like Hamilton was developed through um, funded theater. Mm -hmm. So you're able, when you're in that environment, you don't have the big money producers necessarily saying, as Julie Tamar was warning me a few years ago, saying to me in Spain, um, we were at a New York Times event speaking on the same day, and, and she and I spoke, and she just said, listen, if you're going to enter the commercial world you have to be very clear what kind of story you want to tell and then more importantly you better have the producers who will honor that story and not betray the audience that Mm -hmm. believes in that story so that's the process we're in now finding those people those brave Broadway producers who understand what it is no different than what fun home is it tackles some really tough subjects And do you
2: think, kind of, now that you're in the stage, I know it's very early, like, looking to bring it to Broadway, um, I mean, are you open to making changes to it in in terms of, like, music or storytelling, or is this specifically you want to keep it kind of as is?
1: I think, Joe, always, whether you're talking making a film of The Light Princess, which is possibly also on the table with some good folks from the West Coast. um, Nice. And we're talking to Andrew Lazar we've met with him we have a great relationship with his team and he he wants to make sure we do deal with these issues and he doesn't want to dumb it down so we've made the right partnership there however when you're going to a different medium whether it's state theater to Broadway you have to, and they're the warning signals saying, Tori, yes. you have to know when you're, <laughs> exactly. when you're changing mediums, <laughs> whether it's from the stage to film or whether it's from Britain to America, you have to be open to making adjustments, of course. Mm-hmm. Change is part of, it, it, it's part of creating, and that doesn't frighten me. Right? Change can be for good, but once you start betraying a piece, that's a different story. That's a different conversation. Right.
2: And you mentioned that, uh, you know, kind of a film, which is something I was going to ask about, is it's at least an idea that's being seeded. Um, do you, I mean, I know it's way too early, but are there kind of like um, like actors you could imagine doing this play?
1: That's way too early. I think you start thinking about potential directors. Mm-hmm. And Sam and I, Sam's writing a screenplay, and it's, What's exciting is watching it develop for film. The album, this original cast album, has done what I had hoped it would do, in that it's now in the hands of the public. right? And it's also now in hands of producers, directors, creators. And they can sit in their car, they can listen to it, they can put their headphones on, Mm -hmm. because the whole idea was to not make a traditional cast album, but to make an album that would work in the music business. Right. So our benchmark was high. Um, and we worked 11 months on it, no different than on a Tory record.
2: Yeah, so, it's a long time for a cast recording. Yeah, it,
1: it is. And you realize the budgets in the music business, they're not what they used to be. So I kind of, not threatened Husband, but I just said, look, you have a studio, you're a Pro Tool expert, you play drums bass guitar and we're gonna get a divorce if you don't help me do this so <laughs> for 11 months we did this and tash kind of said okay mom okay dad you got to do this
2: deliver mm-hmm. that's really funny um and i yeah i wanted to, to back up and talk about the music a bit so because we're, we're listening to it so the way that the cast album is set up is you have the the story itself and which sounds you know like musical theater it it sounds written for that and then at the very end there is you singing two songs and they sound very like if you had heard them just cold in the middle of nowhere like you would just be like oh this is just a, a new Tori Amos song like it doesn't sound written for theater per se so I'm I'm curious like kind of what was your process of a writing material for the play and adapting it one way versus the other you know is there a point where you're like if i was making this for a studio album i would do this but now that it's theater i'm going this route
1: yes all the things you just said <laughs> it's everything was written that you hear on the album originally on the piano mm-hmm. so even the dragon sequences that you hear in queen material that has no um there's no vocalizing There might be dialogue with it, so it sounds like underscoring. Everything, every bar, was written on the piano. And then once we, Sam and I, thought this is telling the story correctly, then the music supervisor, Martin Lowe, who has been involved with musicals since he was born, um, we would pull him in as part of the process. And then we had John Philip Chanel as one of the orchestrators. And then Martin and I were doing some of the orchestrations as well. Okay. Um, And I guess how long did
2: that process take?
1: Well, the thing about this is that we had a few workshops, which was great. And that's how we developed the story. We used George McDonald's story, like I had said to you, as a jumping off point. there's a reason that nobody has done it in over 130-some years. Mm-hmm. It's a great fairy tale for the 19th century, and I know some people love love it. But when I would read it to my daughter, I didn't get the eyes looking back at me mm-hmm. because the princess was not fully developed in the story. It's, it's not um, a young woman that I think young women want to be right so she has is in some way a caricature of girls in the 19th century that um, will never have a college degree right or become a powerful woman and we knew that we had to deal with a teenager who when she was a child was damaged Mm -hmm. because the grown-ups didn't deal with tragedy like they could have and as parents we're not perfect parents her father is not evil inherently he's good but he makes some really bad decisions and he makes some bad poor parenting decisions as we all can and he thinks though he knows what's best for her And what she needs to do to be successful in life. How many times have we heard parents say that? Every parent. (laughs) You don't want to go into the music business. Things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So they don't mean to destroy your life. But as a parent myself, I know that some... I'll say to Tash, no way are you going in the music business. Mm -hmm. No way. And then, you know, you think you're doing the right thing. And... Your kid looks at you and says, "You're making these decisions based on what you want me to do, not what I want to do."
2: Mm-hmm. But it, sorry, now I'm going off a a tangent. But you were mentioning before we started recording, your daughter isn't interested in the music industry per se.
1: She's interested in all kinds of things, Joe. You have no. I have no idea what she's up to. She's she's um. She's involved in, she writes her songs, she writes her stories, she loves English literature, she likes drama, but she's got a guitar in her hands. Anytime I turn around, the door is closed, and as soon as I walk in the door, then the guitar gets put down really quick. So I don't know what Tash sub up to.
2: That's awesome. So she she's writing stuff potentially that she just doesn't maybe want you to? Well, she's got
1: her own Pro Tools, Rick. So she has her own access to do what she wants to do but I don't really know what Tash's up to because um she's 15 and she tells me what she wants to tell me but we have a really good relationship I just have to respect that she is figuring things out as well and she'll tell me when she's ready to tell me or show me play me songs when she's ready to show me right or um I don't know talk about going into politics if she wants to do that.
2: Mhm. I think that's a, a great it seems like you have a really great sense of boundaries. I mean, I'm I'm not a parent. I'm certainly closer in age to being a teenager at this point I feel than I am to uh to having my own teenage kid, but it's it it's very important to uh to kind of like You can foster creativity, but you can also stifle it by being too involved with your kid's life.
1: Yeah, I would, if I'm honest with you, I don't know if my boundaries are very good. I think Tasha's boundaries are good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then
2: you raised her right. Um, One other thing I wanted to ask, so I guess just kind of like getting down to hard dates, like, is there any, is it too early to say, or is there any point where you're like thinking, okay, maybe we could start working on this for Broadway in 2016? or have a finished screenplay by 2016? Or like where kind of is that process? Well,
1: I think it's dangerous to put timelines because because sometimes things speed up mm-hmm. and um, we, have, we have two paths up the mountain, which is the film path and the stage path, both of them with commercial producers. So the first commercial venture was the album. That's our very nice. first step into this world. And now it's about finding the right people in both those worlds. Um, The film team, we know who the producers are. And the Broadway team, we're having those conversations as we speak. So it's an exciting time. Mm -hmm. But what's making the difference is the response from the public. So to be number two on the Billboard chart, the Broadway chart, without having a show running anywhere in the world is a response from Team Light Princess. Who are the people in States that have embraced the album?
2: Right, there's a lot of interest in it. And I think um, from what I've, I like the songs, like, you know, the ones that are proper songs, I I think are things that are really memorable. So um, I feel like this kind of could become something that people latch on to and return to, but. But, you know, it's also, like you mentioned, it's very strange. This is something that's been a play in Britain, and now it's being embraced solely on its musical value, basically. You know, the people in America listening to it haven't seen it, you know. No, that's exciting. That's exciting. They're
1: listening in their car and their headphones, and the idea was to create sonic theater so that the story would come alive without you seeing anything visually. And that means when we do get on stage or on film... People are coming knowing the music. Right.
2: Well, before I let you go, I wanted to ask a few, um, you know, just like, I guess, what are you into right now? Is there Are there current Broadway plays or musicals that you're enjoying or current uh, artists, you know, releasing albums in the last few months that you've been digging?
1: Well, right now I'm focusing on musical theater because that's just what I need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And having seen um, Fun Home while we were here... We're seeing Kinky Boots, Mm -hmm. Hamilton, um, On Your Feet. So a cross-section of musicals just in the few days that I've been here. And it's all really exciting, and they're all very different. Mm -hmm. You can't compare them um, with each other. One being, of course, um, the Gloria Estefan story, which is what you were talking about before, music from her illustrious career Mm -hmm. and her story as a Cuban-American coming, which is quite topical because of what is happening in politics yeah. um, about immigration, et cetera. And so then watching Fun Home, of course, with that subject matter, which is 85% sung, that's very close to The Light Princess in form and structure. Mm-hmm. So we're 85% sung as well. And that, when you're talking about that, that's more time. So The Light Princess is more influenced by that type of structure,
0: mm-hmm. a
1: lot of singing. Um, and story told through song, opposed to heavy book, and then songs here and there. Right.
2: That's cool. Um, Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm, uh, you know, living in New York, I'm excited if this makes it to Broadway, but I do hope that it also makes it to the big screen. So um, you know, those who don't make it to New York can also see and experience it. Yeah.
1: But... Well, thank you, Joe. And thank thank you, everybody out there who's been supportive and keeps being supportive, because honestly, it makes a difference. It's what the producers are looking for. So thank you for being part of a team like Princess. Thank you so much for coming
2: by. And uh, that was Tori Amos. Thanks. <laughs>